This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Our road toll is increasing. In fact, it's at a 15-year high with 251 lives lost. 13 people were killed on our roads over the Melbourne Cup weekend alone. So, at a time, Jeremy Story Carter, good morning, when cars are supposedly getting safer, they're supposedly getting smarter, why is this happening? And how much of this has got to do with our behaviour and our bad attitudes on the road? Morning, Rish. Yeah, that, you're right. That aggression, that intensity on the roads, it just feels so commonplace now. Just try getting from A to B without someone tailgating you. Mm. You know, you look in the mirror at the lights and you see someone's just going off. Hands are flying around, God knows what they're saying. Like, it, it all just adds to an unpleasant, uncomfortable, edgy sort of energy on the roads. And yep. that is not a good thing. That leads to accidents. And that leads to serious incidents. You see and experience it at all, don't you? Abuse at the lights, even being followed and intimidated. So is this just us Mm. that's noticing and recognising this. You know, how real is it? Today we'll look into whether or not we are becoming more aggressive on the roads and if so, why? How much of it has got to do with the fact that our cars have gotten bigger? You know, has that had an impact? Like big cars, big attitude? Do we have a big car energy going on? Mm. If we all drove smaller cars, do you reckon we'd be nicer to each other on the roads? I don't think we'd be meaner. So why have we become so angry when we're driving? What is it? Is it big car, big attitude, or is it simply a reflection of wider society? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter are part of the ABT Specialist Reporting Team with you. We're looking at our bad attitudes on the road, driver aggression and road rage. Where has it come from and has it gotten worse over the last couple of years? People have already got theories on this, Jeremy, one that says, good morning, a thought, maybe we're still playing out the trauma from the pandemic and lockdowns. Dr Norman Swad said that Melbourne is different from the rest of the country and that we have the angriest drivers and now taxi driver assaults. I wonder if anyone is collecting data about the growth in aggression. That's from Kylie. Yeah, and I think... There is a tendency to maybe try and boil this issue down to one factor, and I worry in a way that it's it's almost more complicated, impossibly complicated than that, that it's a collision of so many things. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I have this device in my pocket, right, and it requires my attention. 24 e- hours a yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much every 10 seconds, you know, we are reflexively kind of reaching for this thing. That's not a good thing when you're driving. Driving used to be a very focused, eyes-ahead activity. Our The inside of our cars are like a multi-screen kind of information you know you you have so much less focus and added to that that sense that i am busy i need to be somewhere i am responsive to this email like i'm driving and i'm thinking about you know the five emails that have come through not personally of course but it these are not good factors for safe driving i think just when we talk about you know, is it big cars or a bigger reflection on society? I think it's both. You know, we have now, we hang our hats on how busy and how stressed we are. But you mentioned how driving once was this hands on the steering wheel, eyes in front of you activity. Not only that, it was once a pleasure. My granddad 
we would go on a Sunday drive. Mm. It was something to do that you did for fun. It was enjoyable. If someone said to you now, hey, Jeremy, do you want to just go for a drive? There's not a chance. Like, it's too stressful. I'd want to get pretty far out of the city uh, before I started uh, to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really lucky. Like, I grew up with... Um, you know, my dad was a great driving instructor, lifelong Vic Rhodes engineer, so he took it very seriously, but it was this quite, you know, it was a relaxed but so, sort of solemn responsibility to be a driver. Like, that's what I was brought up with. And if I compare 18 years later what it's like as a driver on the roads, it's so different to that world that I was introduced to as a 16-year-old mm. driver. It really... It feels a profoundly different uh, lane, I suppose. This text, police have an enormous focus on speed and no educational role in correcting bad driving habits, of which many of us have in this country. In particular, the lack of indicating, lane discipline on high speeds, road leading to tailgating and aggression, blocking junctions. It's never policed, even the yellow box junctions. That's from Simon in Fairfield. And I almost want to keep tabs of just how many issues... Uh, di- different but connected issues are brought up over it because there are so many. This, for instance, I think the reason for the increase in angry drivers is that there are a lot more cars on the road. That's an, a really, actually a really good point because so much of our infrastructure is not built for the current load that we're putting it through. And so, of course, you reach these bottlenecks all over the place and that adds to that sense of frustration that we're talking about. The Road Policing Commander is Assistant Commissioner Glenn Weir. Good morning, Assistant Commissioner. Are you noticing this as well? Do do you feel like our roads have become more aggressive? Uh, hi, Rochelle and Jeremy. Yeah, it, it is not just the roads, I think. So what plays out on the roads is sort of a reflection, I think, of what plays out more broadly. And I heard your intro about, um, you know, the sort of um, downstream impacts of, of the pandemic. And I often say, you know, I get, I get a bit sick of the pandemic being blamed for everything because yeah. it sort of becomes an excuse, right? Mm. Oh, it's, it's the fault of COVID. Well... No, it's the fault of people. And what we're seeing in terms of the road trauma, um, it's just... So 98% of people do the right thing probably 95% of the time. But it's that um, people who choose to do something, even a minor non-compliance, that ends up in catastrophic um, outcomes. That's what really concerns us. Now, we mentioned the um, really deeply troubling and affecting uh, number of fatalities that we've had on our roads. Um, From a policing perspective, I know that there would be specific stories behind each one of those, but are there some through lines that you're particularly concerned about, you know, the the animating forces behind these incidents that seem to show up again and again for you? Um, There's a couple of things, Jeremy. One is um, we saw, and take away the horrible weekend we've just had, um, but we have seen a theme this year of single vehicle off-road into fixed objects uh, in the in the in the rural areas but also we have seen an unprecedented amount of multi-fatality collisions mm. we've sort of checked back and we cannot find a period where we have had so many collisions and whether there's one person or five in the car is often uh, luck or bad luck and the outcome in terms of the total number of lives lost is just its something we've never seen before. But I think there are some simple fixes, and it's not the high-end hooning or, you know, high-end drink or drug driving that is causing a lot of these things. It is minor non-compliance. And I was interested in something you said, Jeremy, about, you know, you've got this phone in your pocket that demands your attention every five times a minute, but does it? 
does it demand your attention? Absolutely, or it, or absolutely it not. It, and it, or no. it certainly doesn't deserve it. No, it doesn't deserve it, and that's the point, I think. So we've become that wedded to... And distraction does play a large part in what we're seeing in road trauma. But, um, you know, it is up to us to control, <clears throat> excuse me, our own behaviour. Mm. And we just, every week, I'm just, I shake my head at some of the things that I see that my people are seeing out on the roads and that you all see. Uh, is it worse than before? I think the the actual, um, you know, the outcomes are worse. People are more um, likely to take risk-taking behaviours and engage in risk-taking behaviours. They have, there's this enormous sense of entitlement about, I want to go there and get out of the way because it's my right to yeah. be over there. Um, and it just, you just shake your head at the numbskullery, which is probably not even a word of some people. <laughs> I don't mind it, though. I um, like it. A- it. Assistant Commissioner uh, Glenn Weir is with you. Um, you just mentioned the link between these sort of distracted behaviours and what can actually lead to serious incidents. There was a really, um, you know, effective campaign that... Uh, mirrors what people look like when they're looking at their phone while driving and it's this sort of double chin scrunched up kind of look but at, yeah. and and that you know tries to trivialize it or, or not trivialize it it tries to put it in the minds of people what sort of behavior they're actually exhibiting but would you encourage people to think that that checking of your phone that sort of touching things that you don't actually need to be doing while driving that that can actually be the sort of distraction that leads to something very serious Oh, it can be, absolutely, and that minor, that, that second or two seconds of non-attention paying or just rolling through a stop sign or just being 5Ks over, it can. It, you don't get a second chance, and it's the same with that distraction. And it's not only drivers, but it's people in the vehicle with the driver who have to be part of It's almost a team sport driving, really. If you're in the car with someone else, um, it is your responsibility to ensure that you behave in a manner that makes sure everyone is safe. And we've seen lots of examples where that doesn't happen. And just finally, do you feel like you have enough power, enough control, or are you even inclined to pull people over for aggressive driving, for just poor driving, poor decisions, tailgating, for instance? How yeah. often would you pull someone over for just being too close to the car in front of them? Oh, all the time, uh, and and I heard, um, you know, you had that email, I think, from Simon from Fairfield, who said, you know, about our education piece. So we issued, and the operation that we ran over the weekend, we issued an unbelievable amount of infringements, but for every one of those, we also have an engagement piece where we don't issue a ticket because we all, we do, you know, we do have that discretion that we exercise all the time, and part of that is that education piece. Um, so, but at the end of the day, people need to see for self-regulate you know, we think we live in a mature society with people who've got, um, you know, some capability to think and act responsibly. Unfortunately, we don't see that. And I really call on people to self-regulate their own behaviour rather than having us do it at all the time. And very quickly, Assistant Commissioner, every time we have a discussion mm-hmm. about um, this sort of an issue, there is always a lot of uh, feeling around people who uh, are perceived to be going slow in the lane, as if that's a sort of driving issue, um, you know, that maybe somebody in the right-hand lane is going 98 in 100 and somehow that's... You're looking a, at me when you say I, this, don't I, you? Well, I get overtaken just, a lot. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I mean, I do a bit of that too, and so... But people often will text through, and we have them right now, suggesting that that's part of the mix of problems. Is that really something that concerns you, that people would be going just at the speed limit or just a tick below in the right-hand lane? 
So there's a bit of complexity there, but I think essentially it goes back to what I was talking about. People feel entitled that if it says 100, you should go 100. And if you're doing 98, oh, how dare you hold me up? Now, there are rules around, in a in a dual lane uh, road that's, 80 K, uh, that's over 80 k's, you have to keep left unless overtaking. But really that, that two kilometres per hour over um, 20 minutes, like a third of an hour, how, how much quicker are you going to get there um, by doing two or more k's? That's just ridiculous. So it is frustrating. But the other thing, I get heaps of correspondence Something I'm thinking that, you know, I'm responsible for the congestion on the roads. So people complain about congestion, but then they also complain about people not going fast enough. So um, it's it's dealing with humans is always interesting. Absolutely. And just trying to take responsibility, I think. And we know that when accidents and when crushes occur, not only does it impact the friends and the family, it impacts the, the frontline workers like Victorian police who have to go and assist. And you guys have basically been to hell and back over the last couple of weeks as well. And we know you've been to some of the most traumatic incidences that some of your workers will ever experience. So uh, our thoughts go out to, to your team members as well. No, thank you. And uh, look, we won't give up. We'll keep uh, cracking because at the end of the day, we're just trying to keep people safe. Glenn Weir, the Assistant Commissioner for Road Policing. He's the Road Policing Commander. And also the creator of the word Num Scullery. Num Scullery. I'm really into that. Big car energy and Num Scullery. Lots of people are saying absolutely big car energy is a thing. I'm sick of big cars barging in, changing lanes without indicating, intimidating other drivers. That's from Kate in Preston. Not the cars. Glenda's in Gippsland. Good morning, Glenda. Good morning. I was just going to say, it's not the cars that are barging in, it's the people that are barging in. And often it's the car that has the crash, and it's not the car that has the crash, it's the person that has the crash. Yeah, why I'm ringing is right at the initial part of the program, the word accident was used. If you use the word accident, it lessens the responsibility of the driver. Our daughter was killed uh, 23 years ago, and it was the responsibility of the driver in the other car that killed her and another boy that was in the car with her and oh, Glenda, I'm so sorry back then yeah back then it was uh the term was accident and this is in western Australia they changed that uh terminology to collision incident or crash because of that very reason yeah. that it's the responsibility of the driver and Absolutely. so the word accident's not used and, yeah. and things to, to haven't use changed crash. and I think Glenda, you're so right. I mean, and like what your family must have been through, that responsibility that you have when you get behind a car, I think that's forgotten a little bit as well. Glenda, thank you. Because it is a huge responsibility when you get behind the wheel of a car. You know, it's not, it's a privilege to be able to to drive and it's a responsibility to do that safely. Yeah, and I wonder the smarter our cars um, become and the less engaged you have to be with the driving process, the less maybe responsibility you take for it. Uh, Mark has called through from Wangaratta. Mark, uh, what would you like to share with the conversation? Actually, I'm just thinking after that last one that the word should really be incident and uh, it's not much point having a smart car if you've got a dumb driver. <laughs> but uh, the thing more overlooked, uh, especially in rural crash uh, incidents, is the actual role of the car. Because I quite frankly think a lot of the cars that we're importing have got the wrong tyres, wrong mm. uh, rims and wrong suspension. And the lifespan of a suspension of most of my cars in recent times it's 30,000 kilometres before something breaks or you, and it's got to be repaired and that can't be safe. 
And the conditions of our roads is something that comes up all the time when we talk about this in particular in regional and rural areas. Mark, good on you. Thank you. Graham's calling from South Australia. Morning, Graham. Yeah, good morning to you, Rochelle. How are you? Yeah, in really Germany, well. Sorry. What did you want yeah, to say? It was interesting. Oh, it was interesting what the Commissioner said, by the way. You know, I mean, one of the things I see was, uh, for example, going down the Monash Freeway, people changing lanes at 100 kilometres an hour, no indicator. Mm. Now, now, that's, you know, a given accident, literally, just other than the driver behind being aware and braking. So why do you think, just, uh, have we always been bad, aggressive drivers, Graeme, or has something I, shifted? I don't think so. I'm 77. I've seen a lot of driving in my time, and I've been around Australia quite a few times. But um, it's just how it's behavioural problems and how people are ta- driving uh, education, how they're taught to drive. Yeah, it's, I think that's a big part. It's, yeah. it's really interesting because I I would actually think that as a country we're reasonably well set up to uh, have good driver behaviour. You know, we are a country who has uh, money put into driver uh, education. We have campaigns. We have a we're largely as a society we do kind of tend to pay attention to these things. I I really think that's. It, this indicating thing is a really interesting idea because if you think about uh, how often you see people um, make those quick movements mm. in between lanes. Inverse of that, how often do you see someone have their indicator on for quite a long period of time before they? It very rarely happens in my experience. You very rarely see someone give a decent amount of indication. Or they've before, just left their indicator on. Or and you probably about. just assume that. Anyway. <laughs> Dean's called from northern Japan. Morning, Dean, or is it good evening? Good morning. We're in the same time zone, kind of. Ohio gozaimasu. Ohio gozaimasu. So, look, one thing I. I'm a bit disappointed I missed the commissioner because I, I think a lot of this is bad governance. Um, we the the policing of aggressive behaviour is is not done, um, and maybe the police don't have a, an appropriate charge on their books. Um, I recently renewed my license here, and um, I sat down for a 30 minute lecture on new laws and things the police want people to do as drivers, and. A highlight of it was an aggressive, an aggressive driving charge because it's a problem here too. And it's like oh, that's three hundred bucks if um, you don't let someone in. Wow! And do you reckon that works, Dean? It was interesting. Jeremy and I were actually talking off air and thinking, I wonder if driver aggression is different in other countries depending on the size of the car, for example. Like in Europe where cars are getting smaller, not bigger, is driver aggression going down? Do you feel like aggression is high in Japan on the roads? Um, not not to the extent it is in Melbourne um, at all. Um, and, and again, this is not just the people behaving well. It's structural. Um, if you get a charge for aggressive driving or any speeding fine, something like that, it goes to your employer and it can threaten your employer. Uh, something in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's um, like a character and, reference. And well, it's structural, you see. Um, and, and so when... When you let somebody in, or when somebody lets you in, the, the right thing to do is you push your um, hazard lights three times to say thank you for letting me in. <laughs> I like that. Don't mind I like that, that here. If you flash your flash your lights, there's generally police ahead so that you yeah, can yeah. stop driving badly just we, because for a short period of time. Which is Dean, technically illegal. God, we've had such an amazing range of correspondence already. Dean from Northern Japan. I, um, Rich, do think this is important. I drive from Geelong to Melbourne regularly. And the amount of people I see blatantly watching videos like Netflix and YouTube while on their phone is on the dash, like in that cradle on the dash. 
it's frightening. I often slow down next to them and shake my head and they quickly remove their phone from visibility. It's scary. That's from Brad. And honestly, driving some of those stretches like the um, Melbourne to Geelong and back, because it's such, it's a longish stretch, but it's a routine for a lot of people. I have seen those sorts of behaviours, almost like a boredom that comes in that I need to be stimulated by something other than the driving, and that's uh, not a good place to be. I wonder how much of a difference it would make if we followed Japan's lead and you actually had a $300 charge for aggressive driving. Maybe that's something that we could bring in. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunter and Jeremy Story Carter are part of the ABC Specialist Reporting Team with you as we try and figure out whether or not our attitudes on the roads have become more aggressive and if so why lots of feelings on this mm. jeremy whether or not big car energy is a part of it this definitely the big ute the truckzillas are very common they tailgate their speeders get out of my way attitude a macho attitude from so many drivers these days that's from bruce and ben's in hampton he says i'm over 50 now but i remember how i drove when i was 18 and i shiver a question to the audience is what mistakes did your young selves do wrong when driving and uh this from uh, Jordan, without sounding contrite or just wrong, our roads are not made for these imported cars that we only import these days. The big pickup truck that seems to be taken over, they're too wide, too heavy, too long, and they're only safe for the people inside the big rig. If you're not in that big vehicle, it's pretty ugly, really ugly, actually. Uh, for some reason, people feel like they need that sort of a four-wheel drive. And I hate to say there's so much truth in that because... Once you start seeing these big trucks, you might initially be like, no need for that. Uh, You see them kind of jutting out the edge of a car park. You think that looks pretty ridiculous. But it does even influence, like, Mm. the smaller scale, that sort of SUV import that we're so fond of now. That that is just part of it. They're so big that they don't fit in car parks now. So I couldn't get into my car. Swimming lessons, parked our car, we went into swimming, came out, one of those huge truckzillas, as someone said on the text, was there. So I couldn't get in on my side. I had to get in on the, no. <laughs> the, on the passenger side and do the awkward scoot across. You know, it, it was, would be inelegant if I was trying that. I have to say, I'm still thinking about the idea that if I was to commit an offence out on the roads, that the offence might filter through to you and you'd be reviewing it in the office and being like, Jeremy, you actually need... That's a, interesting, isn't you it? You pull up your behaviour here. I think that's quite profound. Found. Absolutely. Michael's in Bendigo. Morning, Michael. G'day, guys. Can I raise a couple of things here? First of all, I totally agree with what the Commissioner was saying on um, on distractions on the road. I drive from Melbourne to Bendigo all the time. Um, you know, everybody says we're doing all this breath testing and everything like that. In the last eight years I've driven from Melbourne to Bendigo, I think I've been breath tested once. Mm. We don't have we don't have a police presence on the road. We're so busy on 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 the um, on the on the speed cameras and things like that you never see a police car on the road and we're so busy being being stealthy rather than giving us a presence and the other thing i want to raise is the fact that when we do our driving tests our young ones do our driving tests we drive around the city we park the car we learn how to go around the roundabout and everything like that but when they do their tests they don't actually take them out onto rural roads and say okay let's see how you handle the car at 100 k's an hour and say right you're confident to drive yeah and we're going to actually be speaking to a, a driving educator a little later and people that speak with schools in particular but you're so right michael once you get out of where you're used to driving even if you've been driving for years thank you dr amanda stevens is a senior research fellow at the monash university accident research center and amanda your research basically looks 
into why and how we are so angry on the road. Is there something that bubbles to the top that's really obvious? Oh, hi. Um, uh, a lot of what the, the people calling in have said has really resonated me, with me uh, and the research that I've done. And, and something that's really interesting that stuck in my head is I've worked in a number of different countries looking at this. And wherever I've worked, everyone said it's worse in my country. So, so it is um, universally like people see this as, as a problem that, that we have on the roads. Yeah, and I'm kind of uh, reluctant to just pin it on some unique Australian character or um, even set of conditions. But, I mean, how can we extract it from, uh, like, a lot of the themes that we're we're talking about here seem to be themes almost that carry across into other parts Mm. of our lives. So this sense of somehow an an urgent main character kind of entitlement syndrome, you know, whatever it might be. Like, how how do we extract it from those things that we frankly can't do a lot about uh, from a road education perspective and and put it into terms that are more constructive, that we can do something about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for for a lot of us, we kind of think that our driving is siloed. So, you know, whatever happens before we get in the car sort of stays behind, but that's not actually the case. So if we've had one of those really stressful mornings or a stressful meeting or we're going off to a stressful meeting, that's going to influence how we are in the car. Um, And when we get to wherever we're going, we're then going to probably be in a worse mood or be more stressed as well. So driving is a part of our day, but what happens while we drive doesn't stay in the car. It's not siloed. So it can really shape shape our whole day, shape who we are when we get out and we're with our family oh, or gosh, with our that's co-workers. Sad. Or, like, so it, it, is, it is a cycle. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're just so stressed all the time. Is it one particular age or gender? I mean, Kate's impressed and she says, this is not just macho blokes. There's some entitled young women in big cars. They're even worse. Does your research kind of point to whether or not it's one demographic? Uh, look, it's interesting when we when we ask drivers, um, you know, what makes you angry, and you know, how angry do you get on the road? We really don't find um, demographic differences. So, so most of us, for most of us, there are situations that will get us angry, and that'll differ across drivers as well and their driving circumstance. But but when it comes to expressing that anger aggressively, we do find that that's often um, more males. They'll be they'll at least they'll say they express it more aggressively. Um, so, but, but generally, most of us get angry um, on the roads. Most of us get angry. Never a good sentence. Um, I am wondering there does tend to be a bit of confirmation bias in this sort of space. But are things genuinely getting worse? Like, are, are we right in thinking that these? issues that we talked about um, leading to worst incidents, worst behaviour. Can we actually quantify that? Yeah, look, we don't have any research at the moment that shows that it is getting worse, but definitely, uh, you know, as you would have heard from all your callers, everyone is feeling very much that people are worse on the roads. Um, And I think a part of that is we're coming back to driving and experiencing the traffic delays that we sort of had a nice break from. So we're getting used to being on the roads uh, and having higher volumes of traffic. 
we might be more stressed um, just naturally and we drive as we feel. So if we get in our car and we're feeling stressed or um, sort of already frustrated or angry, we're going to be more frustrated or angry drivers as well. So, oh. so we, we, we don't have, you know, we don't have the evidence objectively about the um, yeah. changes, but, but from everyone we speak to is definitely the feeling that it's a lot worse out there. Life's too short for us to be stressed and angry all the time. It really is. Amanda, thank you. Dr. Amanda Stevens, Senior Research Fellow of Monash University Accident Research Centre. This, I work on the roads repairing the protective barriers and it amazes me the number uh, that we get upset that we're on the road because of a minor delay and they think it's okay just to ignore temporary speed reductions. The biggest problem is police don't enforce roadworks speed limits for us. People feel entitled and they don't feel feel like they are totally safe in their lounge room on wheels. Michael's in Coburg. Good morning. Uh, g'day. How are you? Well, what did you want to add? Uh, well, I, I think that uh, uh, it really starts at the beginning. You know, like we just don't teach people to drive effectively. Um, we have a very simple driving test. It's a multiple choice, big deal. Um, and, you know, yes, you teach them to park. Some of them actually learn to do that. But we need to put them on simulators. We have the resources. We have the, the sophisticated systems. Um, teach them to drive. Teach them to develop their spatial capacities. Um, force them to drive till they kill themselves so they understand exactly what happens at high speed in difficult... Yeah, uh, and I know that the TAC have had some fairly confronting campaigns that they run, and I'm not just talking about on, on television or, you know, billboards, about going in, so students going into hospitals and speaking mm. uh, with survivors, speaking with family members of those that have lost someone close to them to really sort of push that impact through. But you're starting to see where and why and how this aggression is coming through, Jeremy, because I've kind of lost track on text anyhow of reasons, ages, specifications in terms of what's happened to them, it's sort of flying at us left, right and centre. So why are we becoming more angry on the roads? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you as we try and pull apart why we've become so angry on the roads, what's driving it. Learning to drive and the education of learning to drive. I mean, whenever we sort of try and pull apart things, inevitably the answer is better, more education. Yeah, and I know from my own experience, I'm very lucky, I know not everybody is in this scenario, but, um, you know, I used to play uh, basketball all over, um, you know, the suburbs and pretty far out. And so Friday nights I'd get a couple of hours um Practice, driving, driving you know, down to Frankston or, yeah, down to the eastern suburbs or something like that, and even on long drives to South Australia from, yeah, Melbourne. And those, that real importance on 120 hours or more than 120 hours, and used to, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but used to write down um, every single K you did in a book. That was really profound for me, the difference between being a 40-hour driver to over 120 hours. Um, it really changed the calm and kind of confidence that I had on a road. I know that not everyone's necessarily in that position, but that still to this day is foundational experience uh, in in terms of how I learned to drive. John Elliott is the Head of Program Delivery for Road Safety Education Network. And John, you work with young people, you're at the forefront of schools. Is our, like, I mean, are we putting enough into education and road safety right from the beginning, do you believe? 
Look, look, we could always do more, and that's the thing. You don't, you never want to say we're not doing enough, but we could always do more. Um, for instance, today I'm actually at a, a one of our writer workshops um, with um, Altona College. We're using a uh, a great facility um, here at the um, Toyota Centre for Excellence, and what we're doing is it's a full day workshop which is supported by a whole range of pre and post workshop things because it takes more than just one day as well yeah. um, to, to get people across the line uh, in, in changing attitudes and changing behaviours because that's what we're trying to do. Um, people generally, young people and, and, and older people, have an idea of consequences. They don't need necessarily somebody saying, if you crash a car, you're going to get hurt and you, you, they get that. What they need is... The, the tools and techniques to to actually make better decisions on the road. And that's where repeat, repeated access to education that drives that home is so important. And it covers off a whole range of things. They need to understand themselves as a road user and understand how their personality can contribute towards decisions, how their mood and mind state mm. can contribute towards decisions. And we talked about angry driving before, um, you know, not just sort of in terms of road rage, but just, you know, if you've just had a fight with your mum and dad and you're behind the wheel, that's a really bad time to be. So we give we give students, you know, the opportunity to explore, well, what can we do if that's just happened? Let's start thinking about ourselves in the same way that when we get into a car, we check the mirror and we check the, um, you know, all the other safety things and check the seat belts and seat position. Let's just take a moment to check ourselves and think about how our mind state is and are we in the right state, right state of mind to be behind the wheel. And I think... And again, Sorry. Sorry, John. I was just going to say, I think a lot of people, um, rightly or wrongly, might credit the behaviour of people around them on the roads for, for why they're driving such a way. How, many, how often do you hear someone say, oh, this person behind me is driving crazy, or, so I had to do this, or I had to go at 110 mm. because you know, that's what everyone else was doing. Yeah. So how, how do you teach against that as well when people think that it's actually the behaviour of other, other drivers around them that's influencing and informing how they drive? Again, it's a part of, and again, this is part of the educational program that we run, is understanding the road use from other road perspectives. Because often, you know, people, you, you, you know, you might be sort of, you know, there's a, there's a perception around people who are sharing, they're sharing the road with them on bicycles or in trucks and things. And, um, but if you actually get students to think, oh, what, what does a bicycle rider need when they're on the road that's different to what I might need if I'm in a car? Or what does a truck or a heavy vehicle um, driver, or what do, what do, um, you know, what, what are the safety concerns around, you know, um, traffic controllers on the road? Those, sort of by getting almost like a sense of empathy around road use for other road users, that enables them to actually not only understand why they make certain decisions, but also understand and, and, and also be able to then predict what their behaviour might be on a road and then accommodate it within their own actions. That can help reduce those sorts of road rage things. But one of the things that we found was very interesting. Earlier this year, we did some research with um, students that were at rider workshops who were on their elves, and we sort of said, what, ex what, what behaviour have you experienced? And the vast majority, 86%, said, oh, yeah, we've, we've, we've experienced road rage. Wow, that's high. But, but 
two things on that. When we sort of said, how did that make you feel? They all said negative things, made me feel stressed, under pressure, all of that. Then we asked, how did that change your behaviour? And for the vast majority of students, they didn't change their behaviour. They just were like, oh, well, I got stressed, but I didn't speed just because the person behind me was wanting me to go faster. I didn't I didn't do all that. And I think younger people are, are a lot more sort of, you know, part of the resilience that we need to build up in people mm. is to not respond to the pressures of people outside the car and inside the car yeah. as well. When you've got passengers that might be, you know, um, having an impact on decision making within a car as well. John Elliott, thank you. You had a program delivery for Road Safety Education Network. And that goes across the board in life, doesn't it? Sort of not reacting and... Uh, Trying to keep as calm as you can and yeah. realising that there will be consequences. Yeah, and as if to echo this very conversation, Bridget in Essendon says, I have two learner drivers at the moment. It's seriously frightening sometimes. So many examples of what not to do all around us every time we drive. Also, such impatience. Why toot a learner? I, that, I got tooted when I was in an RACV car learning to drive. And, like, fair income, if you couldn't... There's no more of give this woman a wide berth. And I, I got my license, my license really late in life. So I had lots of lessons and had mm. lots of, had a great instructor. But the amount of time people even tailgate you and two As you, a learner, and you you're a might learner. be a moment for self reflection on that one, I think. Right. There is something going on in your life if that's what you're doing. Leon's in Reservoir. Morning, Leon. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, in this conversation, I feel like the culprits. Uh, are being let off the hook, and to me, the culprits are the car companies. In what way? Got, well, globally, we subsidise car companies to produce a product. That product is sold. Uh, Grand Prix are created for us to watch and embracing that culture. Hospitals and pollution and waste are not uh, paid by those companies, and it has to be taken up by the taxpayer to create infrastructure and attitude. And we are redirect we must redirect mm. our our thoughts to collective uh, travel and that will create a differently social road I user. wonder I mean I wonder whether you could actually hold the, the car company accountable for bad attitude maybe for big car energy maybe you could the bigger the car the more responsible you are for the attitude that the driver has Mike Sinclair is the editor in chief of car sales first things first Mike is big car energy real do you think oh dear me where do we go with that Rochelle? <laughs> it's like yeah there's there's a whole lot of um cliches around that isn't there um, it's, I tell you what, big car energy mightn't be might might be true or might not be true, but what's definitely happening in this marketplace is a uh, is uh, Aussies are uh, mig- more many Aussies are migrating to bigger cars. Um, you know, whether it be the the natural sort of growth in in vehicle size, particularly in that dual cab Ute segment, which Australians seem to love and use as family cars, despite us telling them not to. Um, well, and, that change. Uh, I mean, that's because American. Well, that, into those American, big American ones. Yes, yeah. but because of the tax incentive is so great on those cars that you're talking about, is a part of the reason why many people believe that they are becoming one of the fastest selling cars on the road. There is potentially going to be a change to that tax incentive. Will we see a, a reduction in sales then? Do you think? Well, look, there's a there's there's some advantage from an FT, FBT point of view in in dual cabs and one ton dual cabs, um, but. 
but the the significant um, if you like changes in in duty and those sorts of things are, are long gone they're, they're decades away they've, you know they've been gone for decades it really has been this sort of I guess a, a, a belief in in these Utes are going to be more flexible and give you you know a better lifestyle mm. that the manufacturers have certainly played upon and look they have improved the safety of them uh, they have improved the amenity of them they're much better to drive than they were. But I always say to people, look, you know, take one for a test drive and go shopping and put a dozen eggs in the back and see how many aren't broken when you get home. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I ask... <clears throat> sorry. Uh, we, there is an aspect where there are the really big um, you know, trucks that we're familiar with. And how much is that influencing other people's purchases? So four-wheel drives. Um, from 20 years well, ago uh, to now, are we getting people just searching, by and large, for just bigger... Uh, vehicles. I think we've had a natural evolution in the vehicles on the same nameplates getting bigger. So you know those traditional Hilux Ranger, those sorts of things. They've definitely got bigger over the over the last couple of generations of those cars. But what's also happened is we've seen, um, particularly in the last five years, the arrival of the full size American trucks that are that are converted. Um, from left to right hand drive here, very, very well, well engineered products and, and really high quality products. But to give you an idea of how many are going on the road, so far, so far this year, across two brands, which is um, which is Ram and Chevrolet, there's been almost 10,000 registered um, wow. new vehicles registered, and we have two more brands coming. We have um, Ford bringing in their F150 vehicle, and we have uh, Toyota bringing in their Tundra. Now. I guess part of that is the fact that, you know, you've got people who have owned multiple versions of Hilux and Ranger and those other ones um, and, you know, are, are looking for to, to the next best thing, to tow the bigger boat, to tow the bigger caravan, to tow the uh, the bigger work trailer with um, more Gosh. ladders, more things on the, on the back. You need to start to make bigger car parks then and then that's going to cost everyone. Just finally, Mike Sinclair... In Japan, we heard that there is a fine if you can be charged for driving aggressively and then that gets marked against your name. So if you have, uh, you know, that, that record then potentially gets passed on to a, an employer, do you think something like that would work in Victoria, a charge for aggressive driving? I think the best thing we could do in Victoria is, um, is drive better when we've got our kids in the cars. Because essentially, uh, it's model behaviour, and, and as we get, uh, um, I guess, more frustrated on the roads and with kids in the car, that that sort of that generational change needs to start happening now. So, um, uh, carrot and stick, you know, the, mm. the stick has, you know, we we see continuing increasing in speeding, ca- uh, you know, um, speed camera revenue, despite the fact that speed cameras have been part of our lives for for many years. So, you know, the government budgets on it going up every year. So clearly that isn't working. Yeah, well, Lee on text agrees with you. It says what scares me is that most kids now will be learning to drive like their parents in their massive parents' SUVs and learning that I am invincible, those sorts of driving habits. Mike, always good to speak with you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Mike Sinclair, he's the editor-in-chief at Car Sales. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you looking into why we've become so angry on the roads. This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. Looking at road rage. Sophia says, I travel and drive annually in Europe and North America. The worst road rage is here in Australia. But I can't figure out why. 
Yeah, and there are just so many texts expressing a real concern about um, behaviour of people on the roads. And we have been talking about um, early learner education, but I do wonder how much of this, you know, this, this the difference between how you are as an 18-year-old driver, 19-year-old driver, you may actually be quite a safe driver at that point because all that learning is in you. I do wonder how over the decades we, we start to ebb away <laughs> and we become worse. It's funny that we don't tend to put it out so much as the ABC, but I have noticed that a lot of commercial outlets will often put out stories that are essentially like, do you know who's in the right in this scenario? And they'll do a little road test. And the reason they get so many clicks is because I don't think a lot of us know know this. And it does make you give you pause and think, well, should we be required every 10 or so years to do some sort of... Reset. Reset or at least re-familiarise because I do think we do let some things lapse. Special counsel Ashley Kemp is a personal injury lawyer and works a lot in workers' compensation with motor vehicle accidents. First things first, Ashley, do you think a charge for aggressive driving... Is a good idea to implement here in Australia. It's implemented in Japan, and maybe it's a kind of three strikes and you're out, or you lose a demerit point or something. Oh, good day, Rochelle and Jeremy. I think um, I sort of echo what the Chief Commissioner, I think it was earlier, said that um, I think he said that there are already uh, uh, you know offences on the statute book that you know cover this and that are enforced by police. But it does beg the question. Um, if that would be something that might change behaviour in a more sort of, uh, I guess, if we're talking carrot and stick way. Um, so I definitely think it's, it's a conversation worth having um, around, around that, given that it is such a serious issue. And worth saying that in the period between 2018 to 2022, Victoria Police, I think, issued over 10,000 fines for tailgating mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. Uh, and if you think that two of those years, we weren't doing that much driving, um, that is pretty profound. And I don't actually think something that people probably think about a lot out on the roads that, you know, yes, we're conscious of the idea that you might get caught for speeding, but the idea that if you were tailgating someone, you could plausibly get pulled over via Victoria Police. I suppose in the suite of um, tools that the... Uh, that we have, do you think that there are enough um, or, or the way that they're enforced is is sufficient to properly deter drivers? It's a really interesting point that you raise. Um, uh, there's some research has recently been done. It's on the Shine Lawyers website about this sort of specific issue. And actually the most common type of accident for motor vehicle accidents in every single state in Australia except Tassie and the Northern Territory is nose to tail collisions. Mm. Um, so it's a massive, massive problem. Um, and uh, it's actually occurring not necessarily on uh, highways that are 100 k's or over. It's actually mostly occurring uh, on sort of... Uh, uh, but basically, uh, any, I mean, major thoroughfares and, and local streets, as opposed to high speed, yeah, tail. So it's a real, it's a real issue that um, you know it does warrant some attention. I um, actually have a, the stat in front from RACV that mm. said forty-one percent of collision claims um, that were filed with the RACV were a result of those rear-end collisions, essentially um, right. tailgating the front driver or not braking in time on the part of the rear driver, basically. Or just pressing the accelerator. Or people being on their phones <coughs> and not knowing just going straight in the back. what's going on. Um, I, I am interested. With this phenomenon of dash cam footage has become, well, it's almost become a, um, a, a crucial part of news gathering now. We see almost this dash cam mm. footage on the news almost every night. Um, how much has that played a part in, in ensuring that there are 
there's more likely to be, you know, convictions or success in terms of um, people being held to account for bad uh, driving and, and how much of it is just us endlessly documenting what we see for, for our own purposes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's various uh, social media websites that you can go down rabbit holes of watching Dash Jam. Um, I do Dash a bit Jam of that videos, myself, but, yeah. Oh, so do I. It's, it's very good if you if you can't sleep. Um, but uh, I think these days, I think um, it's, it's such a great idea to have a Dash Cam. Um, you know, obviously, um, if something terrible happens, um, it's good to have the evidence there. But um, I think it can be a deterrent, particularly in a road rage incident. Um, there's, you've probably seen the videos of people saying, Nate, I've got a dash cam. Do you really want to mm. use yeah. aggressive oh. behaviour? So, yeah, sadly, I think it's, um, it's, that's the way that we're going as a society. Always good to speak with you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Special counsel Ashley Kemp there with Shine Lawyers. She's a personal injury lawyer and works predominantly in compensation with motor vehicle accidents. Lots of references today to Japan. Vivian says, I was in Japan recently. I was actually amazed to see the road workers had just a few witches' hats and certainly no slow down signs, and yet they were working in the centre of the road. So what does that say about drivers in Japan compared to Victoria? In terms of comparing us to overseas. Peter? Good morning. Good morning. What um, did you want to say? Three things. I've driven a lot in America, in Germany, England, Ireland, Scotland. The people over there are far more courteous. They let you in. Uh, the second point is tailgating is caused by people not driving to the speed limit in, in many cases. Forget the guy with the attitude and the big truck. But um, a lot of people get frustrated because yeah. the guy in front who doesn't move over, that's the other thing. And I think it's that frustration that people refer to so often. We need to apologise, as we so often do, to all the texts that we didn't read out. We just physically couldn't keep up with them. But a lot of them just come back to Jeremy's story, Carter, of, you know what, we actually just need to drive. And this is one text, and it says, we just need to drive with the mentality of just being kind yeah. to each other. And when, you know, everyone that we've spoken to today, and in particular to the Monash Accident Research Centre, when we spoke to Amanda about the anger and the aggression that we have at home, and we take that into the car, and then it goes into the workplace, and then we're stressed, and then we get back in the car. I don't want to live my life like that anymore. No. I'm sick of the stress that's out there that is generated on the roads. You take that home. Enough. That's not a good thing. And I think we, we have become so conditioned to thinking when we plug in into our Maps app and we see that it's going to take us you know, 20 minutes or 40 minutes. It should really only be 27. Oh, if I just speed up a little bit there, you know, or maybe there's a bit of traffic I didn't expect mm. and now it's taking longer. And we kind of put, you know, a lot of us might funnel our thoughts about driving through that sort of prison. Yeah. And yet we started this conversation by talking about the truly distressing level of fatalities. And that is actually what we're talking about when we're, we're talking about distracted and dangerous driving. So it's not about the two minutes you might save Absolutely. or not. It's actually the far more serious consequence that can happen. I mean, there's a message that says something very similar. We need to change our habit of expecting it will take us a certain time to get from A to B. We leave home accordingly or a few minutes later than we think that we'll make it and then we panic when it takes longer. We all just need to allocate more time to drive. Being more courteous on the roads, it's a social obligation. And just on the point about uh, potential 
eventually needing to reset or at least refamiliarise yourself uh, with the road rules. I do appreciate this bit of honesty. I've been driving for over 40 years. I'm currently teaching a learner. I cannot believe how many road rules. I don't know. Bit of support for that idea. How do you reckon you'd go if you had to reset? I'd be fantastic. I'm very good. <laughs> I would. 100% I, fail, be, I, I do I think I'd have some problems. <laughs> That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.